Welcome to TSOB with Dr. G, a podcast featuring intellectual table talk about race and sexuality. I'm your host, Dr. Tracy Q. Gilbert, a sexuality educator, writer, and researcher. Join me as I talk with the most brilliant minds in human sexuality, applying a professional Black lens to discussions about sexiness, health, and healing in the new millennium. It's TSOB, the sex ed of Black folk. Let's get to the get down, shall we? Oh my goodness, y'all. It's so funny. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're just, you have someone in your life that as soon as you connect with them, you are like going and the conversation is flowing and everything you want to have happen happens. That's exactly what has happened right now. So this is going to be a little bit of an unorthodox opening um, in that I'm just going to quickly introduce you to our guest and we're just going to get talking because we are already talking. Um, and my guest is none other than Marietta Gary Smith, who is a phenomenal sexuality educator out of Oregon. I will still quickly, as is due um, proper respect, I'm going to read pieces of her bio, but we're just going to get into what we've been talking about before we started because it, it's already juicy and we ain't even really got into it um, yet. So Marietta Gary Smith, uh, Smith uses she, her, they pronouns. She is a second generation Oregonian. So out of a uh, shout out to the West Coast, to, to Oregon and Portland in uh, particular. And she's a third generation social justice agitator. While her family history seeded her interest in social justice, she added public health and human sexuality to it, and it became it came together smoothly for her in high school. So during that time, Marietta was an active youth health advocate and peer educator and served on several local youth councils, including Planned Parenthood Teen Council and she served on the national board as a national board youth representative for Narrow, um, which is now Narrow Pro-Choice America. Um, Marietta's got a bunch of different amazing things. I'm going to put this bio on our uh, website so you can read it, but I just really want to pause here so we can really get into this conversation. Welcome to TSOB, Marietta. Thank you so, so very much for being here. Oh, Dr. Tracy, thank you so much. <laughs> you, <I'm, laughs> you know I'm calling you that because you are due every time. I, yes. I, you know, we're going to cite the work here, yes. Dr. Tracy, cite Absolutely. the work. Absolutely, we cite the work. We and cite I, the work. I just want to be clear to folks, like I would read her whole bio as I do every guest, but we just started with such an amazing conversation that I was just like, let's get here. Like we can, you can read the bio stuff. You can see like, she's dope. She does amazing things. She runs, at some point we'll talk about the organization that she co-founded, the Women of uh, Color Sexual Health Network, um, which is an amazing group. I'm happy, I'm so honored to be a member of, but let's get into it, right? Basically, let's go. I'm here about, for it, let's go what it was like being, um, and, and I'm just going to say this for me, feel free to correct me if you don't feel aligned with this, Marietta, but I, I, for me, this felt very much like what it is like to um, contemplate and think about sex ed when you're an auntie, when you, when you reach official auntie status, right? So uh, the coincidence between us is that we're both over 40. Um, we are both Black femmes over 40, which means we grew up in particular area eras of time that are very different than a lot of folks in our in our current profession right now who do this work. A lot of them uh, being closer to like millennial, younger millennial, and maybe even Gen Z status and recognizing that there's some difference there in terms of what we're thinking about and what our priorities are. And even some of the the ways in which we think about this topic. So we're really going to get into that. Uh, 
Of course, though, I must do have due diligence and ask you the questions that I ask every single guest uh, in this in this podcast. So let's start off, Marietta. We already kind of learned a little bit, but tell me where you're from, where your people from, and what's got you thinking about sex these days. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. So I just, Dr. Tracy, I just want to say how excited I am to be a guest on this amazing podcast. I have been listening from the beginning and I have enjoyed every episode I've heard. So I'm just, I'm so honored and so humbled to be part of this wonderful, um, wonderful collective that you are gathering together. You're curating this experience. So thank you so much for the reaching for out to that. me. Um, I am from Portland, Oregon, um, born and raised, although I've lived other places, Portland is my home, as you mentioned, um, second generation. Uh, my grandparents, my mother's parents, uh, and my father's parents both were part of the the great migration that Isabel Wilkerson talks about in her book, The Warmth of Other Suns. So my my roots, my roots, as they would say, came west mm-hmm. um, from Oklahoma, Texas, and Virginia, respectively. That's where my grandparents are from. Um, I am. I call myself a hybrid kid in that I, um, being a, a black femme a black person from the Pacific Northwest. I want to be clear. I'm a West Coast kid because my family, I've been raised up and down I-5, which is the major freeway out here on the West Coast, one of them. Um, but I, being raised uh, in the Pacific Northwest is a unique experience um, mm-hmm. in itself. Uh, this is a very uh, white part of the country, racialized, if we're talking about racialized folks. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very white area of the country. This area of the country was... Um, understood and established as a homestead for white supremacy and white nationalism. Um, and that's not even touching the history of uh, the genocide of indigenous folks on this side of the of the country. So there's like a lot of that over here um, that I carry, that I understand and carry. So it, it's been a unique experience being, um, being from here. Um, but I appreciate it because it gave me a very unique understanding of... Um, what whiteness and the construct of how it um, props up white supremacy and privilege and all of these things that we talk about, what it looks like in multiple spaces in action consistently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so there's that. Um, but I'm proud to be from here. I used to not be able to say that, but you know, as you as you start to see your life, as you look back over your life, um, I'm proud to be from here. What is what am I thinking about right now in terms of sex? We're gonna, like you said, we're gonna get into it. We're gonna get into it. <laughs> yes, so, indeed. first things first. I what what's been on my mind right now is like this whole busted challenge. Now I have been, <laughs> yes. Yes, I have indeed. been fascinated. I'm someone who like my breaks now. You know, um, PC life, post COVID life. My breaks now come in where it's like, oh, let me watch this little video. Oh, let me watch this little TikTok. Like to just give myself a mental break. Uh huh. So the whole busted challenge came out, and at first I was like, you know, I, they're not talking to me because you know that's that's not what I do. I don't I don't bust it down like I used it. to. I can, you right. know my knees my knees won't allow that. Right. Um, and so I was really intri- like I was intrigued by what I was seeing, like the way people were like the all of the setup that people were going through to get these to get these mm-hmm. videos. And then I yes, like full fledged, you know, all of the presentation. And then I saw one with a. Uh, black femme. Um, I don't know how old they were, but they clearly were not of the younger, you know, Gen X, uh, millennials, uh, zennials, mm-hmm. uh, Gen, uh, Gen, uh, Gen Y and Z, zennials and millennials. And before 
I want to say it was maybe wherever the song is where like when they finally dropped down mm-hmm. before old girl at home busted. She was like on all fours, slowly getting down onto the ground. <laughs> and she was looking in the camera like this really hurts. And I just it just struck me. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, why in the hell would you do this? <laughs> And then, like, her caption said something to the effect of, like, you know, I had to try it. I just had to try it. <laughs> and it, I, I, she just had to, and I hollered. I laughed so hard because I was like, that would have been me a couple of years ago. Like, uh-huh. I would have tried it to uh-huh. prove to these younger folks that I have in my it life, family, and otherwise. Like, I can still drop it. You know, I can still drop it low. Actually, I can't. I can't. <laughs> Let's, so, it's seeing this woman, and seeing this, this black feminine, I was like, She's for real. Like she was fully prepped. She was ready. Yeah. And then you heard you heard you heard the sister say busted and she was still in the camera like <laughs> no, <not laughs> And I was like, this is interesting. This yeah. is interesting. And it got me to thinking about what is it like? I, I know what I'm going through in this moment in my life where I'm where I am no longer young, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not an elder in the terms of age and sort of like the reverence that I know we hold for our elders. Yes. But I am also not young. I'm right. in the middle. This is midlife. And so right. so I'm in this space and it's like, so what kinds of conversations are we having or where's the space for us to have real conversations about what sex is for us now? What does yes. sex ed look like for us now? What kind of conversations are we having about our bodies and what's changed and what's different and what's challenging? And that, you know, and where is a safe space Mm -hmm. for black femmes, for black people to do that who are 40 plus, 45 plus, right? This, this, this group of us who grew up on, you know, a different world and, Mm -hmm. you know, who are of the hip hop generation, like, and of that era, Mm -hmm. you know, who, who in many ways are the architects, right? Are the, are the, um, yes. well, and I, and I will say the, the, I won't say the architects. So I think if we're really talking architects, then we going back to like the fifties, we going back to the forties, we going back to our right. parents and grandparents. But I think we were definitely the forebearers of a lot of what we see now. I mean, oh, like, yes. I think one of the things that makes the bus it challenge so dope is that it starts with a song that we used to really bust it down too, right? Yes. Like, Nelly, you yes. know, Hot Year was ours, right? And that I remember burning up some dance floors to Hot in Here. And so, you know, we, it's still very much a part of our legacy as young mm-hmm. Black folks at some point. And yet, what does it then mean to like move on and pass mm-hmm. it on? <laughs> yeah, to release it, now. to release it with love. Be like, you yeah. take that, you take that. <laughs> you take it and you go forward. You take, go, move, move ahead with it. <laughs> so it's been, it's been interesting to yeah. think that's sort of like where my head has been. Okay, okay. Well, one of the things that's interesting to me about that, and, and by the time this airs, we'll actually be maybe about a month or so past the Busted Challenge, and there'll probably be some new challenge. Maybe a new but, one. Mm-hmm. but I think some of the dynamics are the same. One of the things that really struck me this time was just how much I found myself reacting to the age of people participating. Um, this has been the first time, because, you know, I think... I, I've, I've started to become aware that there are young people who I find attractive, who I'm like, oh, actually, you are way younger than I thought you were. Like, you're actually in your 20s. Okay, I get that that's a new thing. But now I'm at this age where I'm looking at the busted challenge and I was like, wait a minute, that girl looked like she could have been my kid. Like, I don't know that I want to see you bust it. What is happening? 
And I think, I don't know if you've had that experience, but there were a few where I was like, wait, this child don't look 18. I don't know that I want to be watching this busage. I don't know. And then um, just this past week, uh, Chloe, Chloe Bailey did hers. And I was like, oh, Lord, I know she See, grew, but I, I'm so not look, ready. I'm not so ready. look, so we're going to get into it. So I think what for me, it's like I am. I am, I want to be, I want to celebrate like what I see in younger people and younger yes. black folk, just sort of, you know, holding the space to be their full selves, which I think is beautiful because I feel like for me in my own experience that I had, I did a lot of fighting mm-hmm. in order to be able to sort of own my own space. And some of that was my own shit. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and a lot of it was sort of like what was happening, what was inherited, what was happening in the space, all of these other things that informed it. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there is a, um, there is a, a sense of um, joyfulness about like seeing, seeing the challenge, seeing people go through, do the challenge. And it's like, that's, you know, that's wonderful. Yeah. And yet I feel this sense of um, like I'm dated by it at the same time. Yes. And it's really fascinating to, to sort of check in with myself and be like, Yes. You know, like, I, mm, I yeah. don't know if this makes sense to me to see this. Yes. So it's like, so thinking of, when you mentioned Chloe and at first and again, and I have young people, I'm so thankful for my young folks in my life that that I'm allowed to be in their lives, my family and otherwise. They send me all kinds of text, you know, like whatever. They're like, oh, TT, you need to get caught up on this. Or T you need to get caught up on this. And I'll be like, yes. what What the hell are y'all sending me? Right. And so I didn't know. They were talking about, oh, you need to see Chloe. And I was like, who? You know, I don't know who. <laughs> that's, that's the other thing. Coming out. I'll be like, who now? The, and I was like, who are you talking about? And so they were like, you know, Chloe and Helen. And I was like, oh, okay. So like I make a connection. And then I was like, wait a minute. What is she like? What is she doing? <laughs> And so I was so like, they were all, you know, so I have younger cousins. They were like, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. You're going to do it with us. And I was like, no, no, thank like you. that's, Y'all got it. you know, <laughs> like, and this is where I really, the last couple of years, this is where I've been like, you know what, this is, this is what aunties, this is what, you know, older, you know, big sis or whatever. This is when I step in and it's like, you, you have to let that go. Yeah. It's a right. And I think that's the rites of passage being able to like transition yes. and say, you know, it's not my time in the sun anymore. It's yours. Yes. Enjoy it. And at the same, I'll be working on uh, releasing my internalized uh, need, you know, this thing that I need to protect you, right? Like, I think there is some of that that I remember from my experience, that internalizing of, oh, you know, we don't want anyone to take advantage of you. And it's like, no, it's okay. (laughs) I can set you free. (laughs) Right? Right? I am so... (laughs) I really appreciate that um, that historical part of blackness of black culture as I've experienced it, where I've had these amazing aunties and and other mothers and godmothers and other people in my life who have supported and nurtured me. And so, as someone who was child free by choice, I really honor when people um, when folks allow me to have space in their children's yeah. lives, right? And I think about the experience that I had. And so I want to show up and be present in the same way for my kiddos, as I call mm-hmm. them. And so it's like, I, you know, to think that I, to think now, as I look back, to think that I have kiddos that I've known since they were, you know, since before they were born and they're loud, you know, they're now like 26, 27, mm-hmm. you know, oh, and they're living these, yes, these full, robust 3D, 4D lives. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I put in on yes. that. Like it, it, there's this wonderful sense of, 
of pride that I have and, and an accomplishment. And also, like you said, fear of these, these wonderful, um, fully, um, as fully whole as they are in that moment, black folks walking around Mm -hmm. who are, you know, who are conscious of who they, who they are, where they are in the world, um, that, that they are fearless, I guess, in the same way maybe we were when we were that age, Mm -hmm. that there's a sense of so much that's available to you. I was going to say even more so, like they're, they're more, yeah, I know I was, it's a lot of stuff that that I'm like, I never, oh, that I would never, I wouldn't consider it at all. And so it's inspiring. And I admit, sometimes I'm a little envious of like, damn, I wish I could have did that when I was your age. I wish I would have known. You know, sometimes I think, you know, I wish I had taken that chance. Like I, I, the experiences or things when they're talking to me and it's like, I wish I had, I remember when this may, you know, was an opportunity or something was presented. I wish I had enough, um, you know, confidence or enough um, ability to figure out how to make that decision Mm -hmm. and, and not be, um, I was also, I was raised with a lot of, uh, um, different kind of informed understandings of how I was supposed to be. Oh, yeah, And so a lot of that impacted some of the decisions I made and I don't regret them. And I'm also clear, yeah. like, had I made a different decision, it might It'd be something a else. Situation. Yeah. And I think there's that balance, right? Like there's, there's, there's some things that I acknowledge I have twinges of envy, but most of it, I'm like, nah, I yes. get it. Right. Yes. It was a different time. And, you know, there's a lot of things that younger folks are going through that I'm like, there's no way I would have functioned. Exactly. Like for real, real talk. I'm so thankful that most of the shenanigans I engaged in when I was younger is not available to be viewed on the internet or the interwebs. Like there's no way. There's no way. Yeah. I would not be able to function. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no way. Okay. So tell me your story. Tell the people your story of how you got into sex ed and, kind of how it, and even if you want to talk about how your experience growing up in the era that we did, how that informed that journey for you. Yeah. Um, So I, sex ed came a little bit later in terms of like the, um, the field, right? So that came a lot later. I was introduced to, um, I was introduced to public health or, you know, kind of the, the, a, a more of a medical understanding of that through my mom um, back in the in the mid 80s my mother worked for an organization um, called the National Black Women's Health Project they were based in mm-hmm. Atlanta mm-hmm. and she was um, part of the first staff collective that did that really important work and so this um, this organization was really focused on um, empowering um, black women black femmes in Atlanta and throughout the deep south um, to advocate for themselves to improve their own health outcomes. And so uh, my mom was a bit, uh, we we were a bit of a, a unique novelty coming to Atlanta in that we, my mother was, you know, um, a second generation Oregonian. Um, she had never been to the deep South. She wanted to attend college. Um, she actually applied to Spelman, but my grandmother forbade her to go to the South. For school. Wow. And so she did not. She stayed here at Oregon and stayed here in Oregon. Um, and so uh, she took this job and moved to Atlanta. We moved to Atlanta. She moved to Atlanta in 1983. And I followed reluctantly soon after. Um, and so what happened was all of the, there were, and these were all women who worked for the organization at the time. 
all of the women had daughters. And so when all of the mothers would come together to work, the daughters would be would be brought because that's what we did. You brought your children to work. And we were sat down somewhere and they were like, figure it out. Like, literally, that's what they would say to us. Figure, th- figure this out because we got to go to work. So there was <laughs> so there was like oh, a room. That's that is right. Yeah. Right. So there was a room of like eight to ten young black girls sitting in a room who didn't know each other well enough to be friends but who were brought together because our mothers worked together. So we had to figure out how to develop relationships. We had to figure out how to, you know, and, and adolescence, you know, puberty is a weird thing. And um, for me being this very awkward in um, introverted black girl from Oregon who had never been outside of the West coast and had not been around this many black people that I wasn't related to or that knew me. So it was a very unique understanding. So I got bullied quite a bit. Um, I was teased quite a bit. I didn't get into fights, though. I had a mean right hook as an adolescent. <laughs> so I didn't get into a lot of fights. Um, but it was really, um, it was an education for me, understanding um, what black history looked like in real time. I had never been to the Deep South. I didn't have an understanding of the Deep South in terms of something that was tangible right Right. because my grandparents my mother's parents uh, my grandmother in particular wanted to remove all vestiges of the south when she came west didn't want Mm -hmm. any connection or attachment to it in that way Mm -hmm. um and so it started with that um we had a a a teen we called it a teen self-help group and so we started talking about puberty and menstruation and masturbation and um what was a OBGYN visit like and you know, what were breast self exams? Because these were the things that our mothers were doing, right? They were right. teaching grown folk, grown femmes, how to take care of their bodies. And so we, these children, were sitting here watching this happening. Right. And so I became interested in that, like early on. I realized that as a younger person, as a, as a teenager, I was pretty good at figuring out how to bring folks together to have conversations. I was sort of like the, I was, I was a good mediator and or moderator. And I figured that out early. Um, Sex, in terms of my own interest, um, because I was an introvert and still am for the most part, um, I was curious about what my friends were doing because I was I didn't engage. I wasn't doing sexual. I wasn't doing sexual things, sexual behavior. I wasn't engaging in sexual encounters in high school at all. For my friends who did, my mom and our house was the drop in spot like they knew they could come and ask my mom questions. My mom was a safe, trusted adult. Um, I was someone who they felt they could talk to. So I was always curious. My, I was like, well, why did you make that decision? Why did you do mm-hmm. that? And I was just curious, like, what, what was happening with folks in their head that would inform this decision path that they had taken? And so I really got intrigued by that because I know even though I wasn't engaging in any kind of sexual encounters or behavior with folk, I knew where my head was going. And I was trying to figure out for myself, like, what am I, you know, what is it that I'm trying to trying to get to here? What is it that I really want as opposed to what, you know, what's going to happen? Right. And so um, so that's kind of how I got into it in high school um, and became, you know, became an advocate in the in a real sense. Um, the Planned Parenthood team council I participated on, I was the only melanated anything on that team council, <laughs> right. um, which was true to form. Um, and so I. I was just really struck by the lack of desire I saw for white folks to consider 
anything else outside of their frame of reference. It, it wasn't even like you, it wasn't even, you had information or you had access or you knew whoever, you know, you had a black person that you could mm-hmm. call or talk to. Sometimes my mother or my family was that, were those people. And yet you still didn't. And so for me, it was like, there is this amazing, powerful denial yes. that that white privilege holds up and supports so then when something happens, say, you know, there's a protest or say there's an incident, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, what are we going to do? And it's, it's this really strange, fast, reactionary kind of space. And it's like, no, no, you yeah. actually had a brown and or black person tell you, you might want to reconsider. And you said no, like you actively right. engaged in denying that. Right, right. So so I in high school, that's kind of where I fell into that Um and became, I was really fascinated. I thought I wanted to be an obstetrician because I loved babies. And I had, um, and I was, the, I was that person. I was the, I held the babies and fed the babies and, you know, did all of those things. And then I was like, no, that's too many years in school. I don't want to do that. Right. <laughs> um, and lied on myself because I ended up spending the same amount of time in school that I would have had I gone <laughs> on and been an obstetrician. So right. who knows? Um but the, um, I really uh, appreciated that I had this grounding around um, centering black people and black femmes in particular in the way that I wanted to do my work. And I owe all of that to the work that my mom did in the, in the mid 80s with the National Black Women's Health Project and seeing them model what it looked like to hold space for black folks to just be together. Yes. Even yes. when it was hard, even when the conversations were sometimes painful because of what they brought up. Mm-hmm. Um, but that there was a sense of um, there was a sense of comfort. People felt safe enough to do that, and that they wanted to recreate these spaces outside of where they learned how to do it. They went back to their communities, or they went back to their families, and they wanted to recreate these spaces. So that's kind of that's kind of where I got how I got into it. I I'm almost I'm like I'm like I'm not gonna cry, but I'm sitting with. <laughs> Um, just the gravity of what you're saying because it, like the generational aspect of it, because when mm-hmm. you talk, and I'm sure you know this, and I'm not going to get too far into this because this isn't the point of this conversation, but I'm just struck by when you look at our profession, right? And I'm, I'm trying to use profession and not field per the reminder of Tanya Bass, who we've had yeah. on the show, who talks about the significance of using the term like in the field. But yes. um when we talk about this profession and you look at who's lauded as the pioneers, as the, the trailblazers, yes, Yes. folks like your mother and her crew are completely left out. And yet there they are doing that work and laying that groundwork. And so when you, when you talk, when you have a profession where folks are like, well, you know, where are the people of color and what are they doing? And the black I mean, are they really even doing this work? And it's like, we've been here. We've been here this whole time. And from the beginning, from the from beginning, the beginning. And, and in many cases, in spite of, yes. <laughs> in spite yes. of your denial of our voices and denial of our expertise and denial of our capacity to do this work. Here we are, here we are doing it. And, and so I'm just, I'm, I'm just moved by that story because I like, you no one could have told me. I actually was just in an interview this week and someone was asking me about my journey. And I was like, nobody could have told me when I was 16 and 17 that this was something that black people did, like sex education. Right. Right. 
And exactly. so being able, like, I feel like I would have saved myself a lot of energy to be able to have <laughs> someone like your mom to be like, oh my God, that's a thing. Okay. And it's not shameful to be interested no. and curious about sex. And to- no. And I give full credit to my mother um, and my aunts and other folks, but I give full credit to them because I was raised in the space where asking questions about my body or my health was expected. Like I was taught to do that. Yeah. And there wasn't, even when it was hard for my mother, it's, it's amazing what you just said. There's a, a memory I have when I turned 16, my mother turned 40. That was a big like mm-hmm. deal for both of us. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mother um, was during the summer Um, We were both flying home back to Portland for a a visit to visit family. And I remember going to the airport to pick up my mother and she came off the plane. And, you know, this is this was pre everything. So, you know, like we're all milling around in the airport at the gate waiting like, you know, you can't do that now. But so we're waiting and my mother strolls up the jetway and she had on this this bat wing dress. She traveled. (laughs) Now, back in the day, my mother, my mother was a piece of work. So she would travel like fully, fully quaffed. Hair, let hair done, nails done, everything done, yes. face done, like all of that. Heels. Yes. My mother wore stilettos before I knew what they were, and she strolled off the gate, off the jetway, in this dress with these huge dolman sleeves, and it narrowed yes. in, and her hair was, you know, p- curls were popping, and her makeup was right, and she just had this, like, this light about yes. her. And I remember at sixteen, I said to myself, "I want to be." just like that. And I remember seeing her at 40 Mm -hmm. and I was like, that's, that's what I want. I want to be just like that. I didn't know what I was talking. I didn't know what she was like. I had no idea what she was doing. I didn't know, but I had this vision. Right. And so I think about when I turned 40, Mm -hmm. I thought about what I had claimed at 16 in terms of what I wanted for my life. Mm-hmm. And I think about the fact that I had, I had a living, breathing example of what, of what I could be. Yes. And I think about how many young black folk may not know what that looks like mm-hmm. in an immediate sense, right? Like you may have it in other places, but to, to have, to always see it, yes. to always have it present. And to always know that it's possible. To know that it's possible, to know that it's okay for me to ask questions about sex, to know that it's okay for me to ask questions about my body, to know that I have a right to expect that when I ask a question, I'm going to get an answer or get an answer that says, I can't do this right now. Let's come back to it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a pause, not a full stop. Right. So I I appreciate that. I I was grounded in that. That's beautiful. I really appreciate that. And that look, you've got me even look, this this whole conversation is going to have me full. I just. I already feel it. I'll, I'll process it later. Um, but let me ask you this. You already kind of alluded to it, I think, but I'm, I want to hear it. I want to hear you talk about this. Tell me, Mariata, what you feel like your sex ed superpower is. You know, when you, I have been thinking about this because I, I do my homework as requested. <laughs> um, I And it took, I want to be honest, it took me a minute to figure out to figure out my own truth. Cause I didn't know for a long time. Mm-hmm. I am, there are pieces that I'm still working on for my own of my own stuff um, around what I'm good at. Um, I think what I, what I've witnessed in people that I hold dear to me and hold close to me, you are one of those folks is that um, I have learned 
to acknowledge the truth of some of my brilliance. And that's hard for me to say because I don't want it to come off as uh, boastful or, you know, bragging or whatever. Mm -hmm. And yet I need to understand that it's okay to do that. Yeah. And and the reality is that that is exceptional. And and that's the truth, right? So I want to ask you a sub-question to that because I feel like this is maybe another generational, racially generational experience Mm -hmm. of- yes. To be a a Gen Xer Black girl is to have been inculcated with the idea that you are average. Yes. You are really exceptional. That you are just good enough. Just good enough. Just good enough. Yes. Right? Right? And you, like my experience has been because that is what I felt like I experienced of this idea of like, we're all just out here. Like, like there's nothing more special in me than anyone else to Mm -hmm. where as you grow up and you start to see that in fact, the opposite is true, that your standards and your level of production is so far higher than so many other people around you that it takes to getting like black girl magic was not shouts out to Kashawn Thompson. Uh, black girl yes. magic was not a thing that was just kind of known that, Oh, I'm, I'm, uh, it was just like, Mm-mm. I'm just being me. And then you look back and it's like, we were so fucking dope. Like we were so brilliant. Like, like for a long time, right? For a long time. And so it is that to me, I feel like it's this switch. One, I feel like it's that's the difference where I, I love that this generation feels feels to me that they are much more in tune with their brilliance mm-hmm. and much more in tune with the unapologetic yes. nature of owning that and saying, no, yes, I was going to say, yes, that was the word that came to my ownership. Mm-hmm. Like there's an ownership of their yes. of their space and of who they are and what they bring. Yes. There's no confusion. Yes. And I think for us who had to kind of get ours on the back end, it is coming back to own it and be like, actually, y'all had me messed up this entire time. Let's keep it real. Like all this time I thought that we was all just out here shining. And the reality is that my son has been a little bit bigger than yours for a long time. And we are only just now as a society starting to recognize that. Yeah. And I think that is that is really I think that's that's well stated. Well stated, <laughs> Dr. Tracy. True. That is well stated. And so that is that te- that brings me back to what you my homework um from you is that one of my superpowers is that I have the ability to curate spaces yeah. for black folk, black femmes in particular, to be seen amongst each other simply because we deserve that space. For no other reason, yes. and I and I and I know that's, that's something I put in in my bio is that I am committed and dedicated and very passionate about curating spaces for Black folks to talk about sex and all yes. of the things that come with it amongst each other. Period. Absolutely. Without apology, like, and yes. I know that there are folks who want to be looky loos and they want to ear hustle and all of this other shit. And it's like, that's, you know, that's beautiful. And do you know that my whole life I have spent being observed yes. and appraised and, you know, all of this shit? Like, you know, there, I don't want anybody else in this space except folks who look like me. Yeah. And the first, and the first thing is that they're black. And that's not to set you know, that's not to remove or invalidate anybody else who's melanated. But I want to be really clear like, I want a black space. Yeah. 
Yes. And that we have the right to a black ass space. Deserved. We have earned it. <laughs> yes. Like and, and so it's like I don't have an issue asking folks to leave. That's another superpower I have. Yeah. I am really good at asking folks to leave spaces that are not meant for them. Yes. I want to offer one other superpower, if you will. I will receive I, it. I will receive it. I consider you to be in many ways, the Claire Huxtable of our profession. Um, <laughs> that is a laugh say, of such joy. I want you to know that. Like, I'm so serious when I say this. Like, I love Felicia Rashad. That's a whole other conversation. Yes. And what I find, because I, I've, I've, and, and as part of my journey, I've become comfortable with owning my voice and, and underneath that, owning my anger. And recognizing mm -hmm. that when we're in more in in more professional spaces, in the spaces where we all come together, that yes. you know what I'm gonna say some things, and they're not gonna. I, I ain't quite figured out how to make it cute. The the filter is off. There is no code switching. <laughs> it's just gonna be what I gotta say. And yes. I'm sorry if you're mad, but that's just what it is. This and is I, your that's offering. Part of my journey, but what I feel like I'm like, if I could learn one thing from Marietta, it is how to take that energy and cultivated in such a way where that person has been so cursed out and they don't they don't even realize because you've given it such Claire Huxtable finesse. I received that. I like received that. Like I'm just like, uh, this is a space that is for black people only. You're like, well, my 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 understanding of this space is that it is a space that is more conducive to what African descended people need. And so I'm going to allow you, if you are not of that persuasion, to determine what you want to do with that. Like you have this capacity. <laughs> to, and I'm like, oh. I love it. I like, love you, it. You are so lovingly cursed out right now. Like, I don't. I, I receive that. I receive it. Meanwhile, I'm second generation. I'm second generation. <laughs> My mother is, I have never witnessed anybody like get in your ass with such <laughs> grace than my mother. And people tell me I'm more like her mother, my grandmother, who was not. My grandmother was was extremely clear and did not sugarcoat yeah. anything. Yeah. And as I'm getting older, I feel more of that coming up. But I received that. I totally received that. Yeah, it's real. I totally it's received real. that. I appreciate it. It's and you I'll know, also, it's white. It's white speak. That's what I call it. I'm the white speak whisperer. That's really it. And I and I will say, I feel like our generation was the last generation who perfected the art of code switching, where we had to perfect the art of code switching. Where I because think, we were in all these spaces where yeah. we had to navigate our blackness yes. in places where it may not have been safe. So we yes. had to figure out whose language yes. or, or what presentation would and to be clear, that there. translated into sex too, right? Like our yes. sex was code switch, where it's like we, within ourselves, we may do things, but when we're out with white folks, no, no, we are the picture of respectability because that yes. is literally how you thrive in this society. That is That's, literally how you yes. That's that how you, you made it through. I just had this conversation with a, a guest earlier today that, um, you know, that we, we kept our legs closed that we, you know, we uh, used proper language. That That's we what we were told. That's what I was told. Right. Like there's that's a reason I was why told. we all got these degrees now is because that's what we were told. In that order was the expectation. To that was the expectation. We were not, I was not supposed to, I was not supposed to use broken English. Mm -hmm. I was not supposed to hang out in the streets. I was not supposed to be listening to certain kinds of music if I got into the more religious side of my father's family. Like, you know, that's, that's the devil's music. Yeah. I'm not supposed to be doing that. If I'm going to be out in public, make sure, as my grandmother used to say, that's my that's my name in the street. 
don't mm-hmm. have my name out in the street. And That's I would be it. like, well, how is your name in the street? I didn't get it. You know, but I understood she was really clear. Like, you're not going to disrespect me. Yes. So get yourself together. Yes. When you're out here in the, and so it's like having all of that mm-hmm. and also being, you know, being where I was raised in a very white space and coming from a family that had some um, visibility for the work that they did. Mm-hmm. It was even more upon me to be mindful of what people were thinking. I had to think ahead of what other folks were perceiving and thinking about me. Yes. And I think about this when we're talking about black folks and sexuality. It's like, I know that there's this huge, there's a lot of, I believe there's a lot of mental acrobatics that black folks go through the processing, the conversations we have around our sex and the ways in which we engage and how we talk about it amongst ourselves and how we talk about it in company with other people. Yes. Let's get into that because I think that's, that's absolutely right. Like I think, you know me, I'm very clear that that is the big Mm -hmm. part of, of what it means to be black and sexual in the 21st century. Well, just period. And also what stands as kind of the biggest opportunity for us if if we're ever going to get to this space of sexual liberation. So tell yes. me, tell me in your mind what you feel like are the spaces and the opportunities for Black people with regard to racialization and how that's affected our sexuality over time? Yes, there's so much there. Um, I believe, I firmly believe that the um, the culture of whiteness or the cult of whiteness has mm. really... Um, elevated this uh these extremes around what blackness looks like in terms of this very skewed uh um uh deviant kind of thinking right and that that we we are less than we're not as we're all of these things there's always this reductionism or this uh um you know coming from places of um like we don't there we're never enough it's not necessarily strength-based or you know giving uh thinking of um thinking of all of the things that that inform resiliency of black folks, but it's always the deficit of black Mm -hmm. folks. And I've always believed that that kind of perception and thinking has deeply traumatized the ways in which we engage around conversations around sex and even the ways we have our sex. And I'm not, I don't want to, and I'm not saying that in terms of like what people choose to do, because what people choose to do is what they're going to do. And I want black folks to be able to choose what they want to do with a full sense of joy and an expectation that there's going to be pleasure in these choices that they're making. And I think when you're coming from a, um, a mindset of, or a cult of whiteness or a culture of whiteness that is grounded in supremacy and um, reductionism or removal, um, be as it may be, um, of all the things that are black, mm-hmm. that there is this practice where you get into, even for yourself, like you get into the space of, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I shouldn't be thinking about that. Or maybe mm-hmm. I shouldn't ask for that. Like you start to do this to yourself and it's like, um, for my own personal journey, I've had to, throughout, throughout my, my own experience, I've had to really learn how to embrace that I have a right to pleasure, that black folks from the beginning have been denied the right to pleasure, that there was a sense of freedom and abandon and joy in the ways yes. that we expressed ourselves, including through our, through our sexual encounters and spaces, right? Yes. Yes. And it was so, it was entirely too much for the four folk 
mm-hmm. of this of this whatever this is like it was entirely too much for their you know for their powdered wig selves and so it's like that's fine that's fine and that ain't your shit so you don't need to be regulating nobody else's shit. You need to regulate why y'all over here in these powdered wigs doing shit that ain't nobody else concerned about. But right. you want everybody to be paying attention to this. Nobody right. cares about what you're doing. Right, right. You need to regulate why you. You like need you to regulate to, that. <laughs> regulate why you regulate us. Regulate Thank that. you. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And and what else? What I feel like is also coming up for me is. Not only record, because I feel in a lot of ways, I do feel like we, there is a legacy of pleasure in our community, right? Like mm-hmm. when you look at our cultural experience, like I'm, I'm still convinced that sex positivity came from us, period. Like you would not have sex positivity the way it is in our society, uplifted and celebrated, if not for the inspiration of literal Black bodies being willing to willing to have sex, willing to, mm-hmm. to get it in. Um, but I think there's also, it, it's it's that, but it's also the ability to do it and not feel any type of way about it. Like to do it yes. and not feel apologetic because I think yes. it's, it's what I've seen is that we don't have no problem having sex. It's the owning it. It is the saying, I don't feel bad about it. There's nothing wrong with the sex that I have, that I am unapologetically yes having sex and I will continue to have sex and I will enjoy this pleasure that I have. Yes. That to me feels like that gap where yes. we're not maximizing on our sexual experience that even when we look at sex positivity and we look at um, the ways that black culture is continually mined for sexual inspiration, mm-hmm. it's still mm-hmm. the idea of like, well, if white people are doing it, it's cool. But but you can't we can't feel too happy about what we're doing. Like it's just right. it's kind of like a guilty pleasure, right? That's what we call it, a guilty pleasure. But it's like, mm-hmm. no, I don't feel guilty. I'm doing this because it gives me life. Right. And, and I like it. I, I like, like it. it. And I'm going yes. to continue. Like I feel like that is the piece that is also that we gotta Yes, I sparkle to that. I totally sparkle to that. And it also and it brings up for me when you said that, it also brings up for me this um when we're talking about like black sexuality and pleasure, right? That there is this need to, in our culture, um, to dissect everything about the pleasure that you witness or you see black Mm -hmm. folks having. So you need to define and categorize and go through all of these exercises to, um, to in some way validate for yourself why black folks would be seeking or receiving or having pleasure from whatever they're choosing to do when all of these activities and the results of the activities have absolutely nothing to do with you at all and so it's like you are going through all of this work like this is work and energy you could be putting into say being anti-racist say planning (laughs) a garden say doing better say you know supporting indigenous communities i don't know like you could be doing all kinds of shit but you are actively engaged in deconstructing and tearing apart until you understand what's happening for black folks and their pleasure yeah. And it's and like, we're I, doing yeah, yes. And in turn, and that's what, and I, and I recognize that I feel like in, and I know we've been in these, in similar spaces, like when we get into these professional spaces, shout out to Tanya Bass. Thank you. That was a wonderful reminder for me. 
um, we get into these professional spaces and I, and I get so excited, like to be in space with, you know, like with my folk. And it's like, we yeah. get to, we get to sit and touch and love on each other and have these conversations or not. Like we're just together. Mm -hmm. And there's always this weird sense of, of someone just, you know, like someone lurking. Yes. And it's, you know, and it's just like, it's just this weird. And, you know, like I understand, I, you know, I'm slightly a voyeur. I get it. Like, I know you like to look at things and be like, oh, okay, can I touch? You know, like, okay, right. I get that. Right. And no, you can't do that shit here right. because this is not for you. And yet yeah. I feel like when we're in these spaces and when we're all together, it is a powerful thing to witness. I Absolutely. get it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a it, force. It is a it's force. a force. And there's always there's always like this. I always feel like there's something on the periphery just wanting to figure out how you can infiltrate space mm -hmm. and and ask all of these unnecessary and and ridiculous questions about mm -hmm. why. Mm -hmm. And it's like so in terms of what black sexuality is for me and, and for me, one of the things I've been thinking about um when we talk about this is that um, I, I really look at black sexuality as one of the three legs of the stool for liberation to dismantle white supremacy. Mm. Right. So I, you know, to really harness the power of black sexuality and pleasure that black folks have from their sex is one of the key ways to me to dismantle white supremacy for true liberation. Absolutely. And that looks different for a lot of people. So I'm, not, I'm certainly not out here trying to prescribe anything in that way, but but that there is this um, that there is this release of this generational weight yes. that black folks have had um, for a long time, taught to us, and also rep repetitive behaviors that we that we've learned, generational behaviors yeah. that I think are that very much inform how how we go how we go about engaging in sexuality mm -hmm. and in relationships and so like thinking about our generation like where are the spaces where you know over 40 black fans can sit and talk about what is their sex like now or you know what does their pleasure mm -hmm. look like now or how do you ask for pleasure because it shifts and changes and yeah. how can we how can we support our own evolution through this yeah. process yeah 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 and i and i get the sense too what what's coming up for me is this idea of like pushing against the narrative that because we're older that we have to give yes. up right like right like, yes like, heck no if we're the ones who were the most recent inspirations for this then i'll be dating you will pull my sexuality out of my cold dead hands that's what you will do and yes. in the meantime i will get in conversation with my siblings my 40 plus siblings and we will talk about what does this look like for us now that we are at the now that we are yes as well and you know we may need a little bit of extra supports to make this make this go so i think that's right yeah. Absolutely important. Absolutely yes. important. So I know you said you didn't want to be prescriptive, but at some point I do want to have you uh, think through and share some tips and strategies that you think are helpful to the to, to folks. Before okay. we do that, though, I, I want to, you already alluded to it several times, um, I'd like you to talk more about how you've cultivated community through the Women of Color Sexual Health Network, because that is huge. And Washington has already been mentioned on several occasions uh, during this season. So uh, your Aww. name is your name is echoed. That's so weepy. Definitely... You're going to make me weepy. I, I can't be weepy. <laughs> we'll have to 
to do it after the show. We have to do yes, it after the show. Yes, I'll keep it together. But, um, I'll keep it together. Please, please, please share. And shouts out to all of the foundresses. Um, yes. Your, your, your journey. So please, go ahead. Yes. So um, Wakshin, uh, Women of Color Sexual Health Network, was born out of, um, from for me, I will speak for me, certainly. Um, that was born out of uh, being invisible, right? So um, uh, in 2009, I was I attended my first ASECT conference, American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counters, uh, Counselors and Therapists. Um, I did not know there was a professional organization for sexologists or sex educators. Like I had known, I didn't know anything about that. I learned about that um, when I was in my fellowship at Morehouse School of Medicine at SESH. Um, and so, um, incidentally, the way I found out about ASECT was that our, my, the cohort I was a part of wanted to do a diversity survey of ASECT to find out um, how they were engaging with their members of color and what did it look like. And there was a lot of resistance. It's not, you know, no surprise there. There was a lot of resistance from the leadership. The only reason why that, my estimation, the only reason that survey happened was because the visionary for the SESH fellowship was the former U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. David Satcher. Mm -hmm. And white folks who believe in positionality and, and power, um, that part of that world, you don't say no. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Satcher is a wonderful person um, who I'm honored to, to have been able to, to work with and learn from. Um, very gentle man, but very clear about what he wanted to do. And he was very clear that these folks were going to come in and do this. This was a project that he wanted to have happen. So mm -hmm. I don't think a no was part of their language in that moment. <laughs> right. Um, so we were at the annual conference. It was in Arizona in 2009. It was hot as all hell. I don't know if Arizona had recognized MLK holiday by then because they were resistant. They were like the last state oh, yeah. to do it. Oh, yeah. So I think they were probably still trifling back then and, ha and weren't honoring that. Um, and so after three days of conferencing, I recognized that I had not seen many other black or other melanated faces in my workshops. Mm -hmm. On the last day of the conference, um, I found myself at the pool enjoying the sun. Um, black femme walked past, had a cute, short little haircut, came back past the pool, was like, who are you? <laughs> and yeah. I was like, hey, who are you? I'll be back. They came back in their pool attire, sat down, introduced themselves. My name is Trina Scott. We yes. chatted, chatted yes. a couple hours later, another black femme, tall, pre presented to me as black femme, tall, walked past, came back. What are y'all doing? <laughs> and we're like, hey, I'll yes. be back. They came yes. back, sat down. My name is Bianca Loriano. Yes. So this is how we started at the pool at this conference. We And so it grew from three to five to like 18 people by the time everything was done. Yeah. And all of us came away from that conversation recognizing that we hadn't seen each other in any part of that conference mm -hmm. in most of our workshops and how absolutely ridiculous that was mm -hmm. that we didn't see each other. Mm -hmm. And so Wakshin was born out of, for me, it was born out of uh, invisibility, which I was familiar with. Mm -hmm. But also at that moment, like I recognized I didn't want to participate in anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to interrupt that. Yeah. Um, and so um, Wakshin was started with the idea um, and the belief that this is a space where other um, black and other melanated sexuality professionals can be seen by each other 
because even though we were in a lot of spaces, we didn't see each other. We may not have known of each other. There just wasn't, it seemed like there was just a lot of disconnect. Yes. And this was one way for us to connect. And it didn't have to be about anything other than we simply needed our own space to be. That's it. And we could share information. We could teach each other. We could learn from one another. We could collaborate together. Um, we could kiki as we needed to. We could get reinforcement as we needed to. Um, that this was, a, it was an organized collective that didn't have to be anything other than what it was. That we didn't have to do anything in the beginning, right? right? And so it certainly shifted as as the as our organization um, as the organization grew, which I'm excited about. Um, but in the beginning, that's that's what Waction was. It was a place for for us, and it was a lot of femme identifying folk mm -hmm. um, in the beginning, um, and still is, I think, for the most part. Um, but it was just a it was just a place for for us to be seen, and there were a lot of powerful people. Like mm -hmm. there are amazing. There were there are amazing folks that have become a part of our our collective, yeah. and I am honored that people when they when I hear people talk about Waction that there is this consistency of people saying, "I learned from so and so, I met so and so, I connected with so and so, That's I was it. able to get this information. Someone turned me on to this. Like it's just a. I am so thankful that." It, what I wanted, it gave me what I wanted, it fed me what I wanted, and it still provides that. It yeah. still does it. Yeah. And I'm really thankful for that. Yeah. I'm really thankful for that. And what's what's striking for me as you say that is how much it feels like it carries on that same energy you were talking about with your mother and her mm -hmm. colleagues and your peers and saying, figure it out, right? And how much that is our... I feel like it's in many ways, it's our um, inheritance as Black femmes, the ability mm -hmm. to come together and build community in all the ways that make sense to us, even in spite of the environment that wants to invalidate us, that wants yes. to render us invisible, that wants to say, oh, well, you know, they're just being frivolous. And it's like, meanwhile, we over right. here. We over here do we over here doing <laughs> we over here doing it. And I think and I love that you say that because I think. Well, not I think I recognize and I know that that there's so much that is modeled off of the labor of black fans, right, of creating, Actually, of curating and creating and cultivating these communities and these practices and the ways that we engage or hold space for everyone. Mm -hmm. And now that and now that there are ways that that we are doing it for ourselves because we choose to, mm -hmm. like there's this wonderful burn for me that I, and, and, you know, that's petty. I, I'm, you know, I'm third generation petty as well. I own that. Um, uh, we have, uh, I want to shout out Wesley Thomas, who at some point I'm going to get on this show too, who talks about petty as resistance. Yes. That is I'm, valuable. I'm, <laughs> I'm here. I will be listening for that. But I think, you know, I think about like all of the spaces where we are, where I know folks are watching. And I want to be clear when I say folks, I'm talking primarily about white folks, white culture, whiteness, mm -hmm. right? Where they're watching or observing and the things that we're doing, they're taking notes and then they take it back and they try to apply it and the shit don't work. Mm -hmm. Like, and there's this, there is this piece of me that's like, because it ain't yours. It ain't yours. It's, it's for, not it's yours. It's absolutely foreign to you. It's yeah. not yours. And it's okay. not going to, and that's not to say that, that we don't, we are all figuring out how to, how to show up as our best selves or what, you know, how we want to bring ourselves to these spaces. But there is a, there is for me a, there is a genuine 
love that is expressed that I get the encounters that I have with folks that is you cannot manufacture that and you cannot teach that yeah it's real it's real oh I almost feel like I want to cut that out and make it a whole other episode (laughs) (laughs) Um, but let's bring it back I want to again for the folks who aren't in our profession who are just regular regular black folks who are like Mariata I love your energy. I love your spirit. You're saying everything that I feel like is resonant for me. And I don't know where or how to begin this Mm. journey and figuring out my sexual self or my life or any of the things. Mm. What would you share for them in terms of where they begin? What can they think about? What steps can Mm -hmm. they take? Mm. Ooh, okay. (laughs) Come back and come back. I would offer, so so what I will offer the things that I do, what some of my practices are. Mm-hmm. I would offer first, it's important to know what pleases you. Like you really, there has to be, for me, it's been a, um, it has been a, I have life lessons as I call them. One of my life lessons is, has been to get really clear on what brings me joy and what brings me pleasure. I think those are, they can be one and the same, but they're also separate. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. But to be clear about what that looks like, it could mean that, you know, um, you enjoy acts of service for folks you care about. So doing things for other people. Um, and in turn, what is the flip side of that? How are you for someone or some people doing things for you? How do you receive that? So being really clear about um, what what you enjoy, what brings you pleasure. Um, and then to really understand um, what does it look like in real time? Because we can, it's important to have fantasy and to think and to sort of hold space for like these really beautiful, elaborate moments, if that's what they are. Um, And then when you come out of that space and you're sitting in the room or wherever you are and and what does it look like for you right now? and that sometimes that's hard. It can't. It isn't necessarily tangible, or you may not know how to how to grab hold of something like that. Um, I think it's important to be able to find language, find your language, to be able to vocalize and verbalize what that means, um, and that can look like a lot of things. There are a lot of um, wonderful books. I know yours is coming. I'm yes, excited. Yes. <laughs> um, I think it's important to be able to put to be able to use language to express yourself clearly um, and to practice that, Mm -hmm. to practice saying it. If to no one else, say it to yourself, Mm -hmm. to say it out loud so that you hear yourself saying, I enjoy, I like, this pleases, Mm -hmm. this feels good, I want, I deserve, I desire. Like there are things that you can do for that. Um, To also then seek out a community because there really is a community for all the ways that black folks shows up show up for all the identities that we hold across all the things all the variables mm-hmm. black etc mm-hmm. like there's a space for us there really is and sometimes that's hard for me as a black girl in the pacific northwest it was hard for me to understand that because it didn't seem like i had a lot of spaces Mm -hmm. Um, or that I was invited into spaces because I was the safe 
choice or the responsible choice or I present it as the best choice, right? So like to be really clear about um, finding your, you know, finding your your folks, finding your community um, and knowing that there is a space for you to be your full self, your best self um, and to come as you are. And then to also get comfortable um, with knowing that everything and everybody is not for you. And that's painful because there is going to be some loss. Mm -hmm. Things are, as you evolve and grow, you're going to lose people. You're going to lose things. Mm -hmm. Um, And to be able to navigate what the loss means in terms of what you may not have any longer. And it doesn't mean that it won't come back. It'll be replaced by something. Right. It may not be the exact thing that you've lost, but you're going to gain something that will mirror or mimic or sparkle to what it was previous, but it's not going to be the same thing. And to, um, to allow yourself to grieve yeah, that loss and to, so if it's, you know, if it's a person, if it's a, um, if it's a, um, a relationship, if it's a, um, an organization, if it's, you know, a place, a, um, a job, if it's a, like there are things that have happened um, in my evolution that I've had to really um, reconcile within myself that as wonderful as it has been or, or as wonderful as I've tried to be, sometimes it's not enough. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with a lack in myself, but mm-hmm. that the situation or the experience yes. ran its course. Of course, yes. And that you cannot hold on to something that, is no longer a benefit to you or anyone else who's engaged in that process. Mm-hmm. Like you can't make, you can't make it better when it's already bad. I and I think of that adage: uh, "Let go or be dragged." Come on, like yeah. for real. And how and to think about how much harm that could inflict on you and other folks that are engaged in this. Mm-hmm. And if, is that the legacy that you want? For this experience like do you I'm not saying you gotta you know you gotta kiss and make up but you can walk away saying I did the best I could and I'm and I'm able to leave this here knowing that I did that much mm-hmm. and it may not have been enough or it may not have been what you thought you needed or what the situation needed the where it was right you yes and, you evolve, it just and that's what it was and it that's what it was that's what you had to offer that's what the other person or the other folks had to offer it was the best you knew how to do in that moment with all the information that you have. This mm-hmm. this was the best. And to honor your work and to to do your own work so that you can move and leave that there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just oh, I'm so like, I just love listening to you. <laughs> I'm just feel so soothed. <laughs> I just I just really want to real quickly want to just lift up what you said about the power that comes from just telling ourselves the truth. That if even mm-hmm. if you don't tell anyone else, just tell yourself the truth. If you can't go nowhere else, that's so Yeah. It, it, it really is. It is with ourselves. And if you you lying to yourself, how does that work? How right? You- and to to really embrace and and especially telling yourself the truth. If there is a place I know for me, I really advocate for uh, black and brown folks to to seek out therapy, mental health support and and, and therapy. Um, I think it's important to have a, I don't want to say neutral party. I think it's important to have a sounding board and a place where you can release these things to someone who is invested in your wellness, 
but they aren't exactly tied to it in the same yeah. way. I call it a holding space. Yes, perfect. Like, I'm, I'm trying perfect. to make it up, but like someone who can. No, I think that's a wonderful, space. wonderful representation. Yes. I think it's important to be able to have a space to do that. And it may not necessarily, you know, it, therapy and, and mental health support looks different for people. But it, I think it's helpful to have, you know, if you have a circle of folks, you know, a circle of beloveds or however you define that that space, um, these these places for you to be able to have a space where you can say um, without judgment. Right. And that the, that it'll be received as it is to be able to say some things to yourself that are hard because yeah. telling the truth about yourself. Some sometimes it's a shitty mess. And, and that's it. Yeah, and and it's and and you have to call it what it is, and that you're not the only person who's a shitty mess. That's it. Yep. And it's okay to be a shitty mess. That you have a right to be a shitty mess, and you get to decide if you want to stay in that space or not. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. you, if you need support moving out of that space, then it's important to be able to say, "I need help moving out of this space," and and even being able to to talk about that. You know, yeah. and I think that's important for black fans, especially in our profession, that we have spaces for us to say, this feels really shitty right now, or I am tired, or like, you know what, you know, the things that we say to each other, because mm-hmm. it's a lot to have. It's a lot. Yeah. there And there's so many times, again, I don't want to get too far into the profession, but there have been so many times that I've just been affirmed by black fans when it's like. I just gave this presentation and I know these white people are going to want all of my attention right now. And I don't have it to give. And I don't have it. Protect me right now. Can you just walk with me so they don't come over? Just Man, I so sparkle to that. I have experienced that where I've had black folks, black femmes literally form a circle around me. A hedge of protection. Where's my auntie? I hear you, aunties. I hear them. I had a hedge of protection, yes, formed yeah. around me where people could not get through. Yeah. And I, to know, yeah. And I feel like Washington in some ways is a hedge of protection for absolutely. us. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Without and I love, doubt. and I love that. I love that. When we get full, like, uh, uh, big ups to Cindy Lee, who talks about getting full Voltron. Come on. Yes. Like, Cindy Lee. Yeah. And I think, you know, for, for, for the folks listening who are not, sex educators, right? Think of your own field and think of the power that comes in being able to build community with other yes. uh, folks of color. Yes. You know? And even if you're not a femme, right? Even if you're mask identified or you're a man, think about the opportunity that could come in being able to cultivate community in your profession if it is one that is predominantly white. If it is exactly. one where you are challenged in uh, being able to be yourself safely without being drained of your intelligence and your energy and all the things that make you brilliant and who you are, how can you in fact cultivate those intimate, and I would even dare say sexy spaces without it being pornographic, those safe and cultivated mm-hmm. spaces where you can just mm-hmm. be yourselves and not have to yes. worry about entertaining uh someone who is not from your community um yes it's like so we're necessary. talking about this in terms of sex ed but this energy can be cultivated in any space where you need it period and it's so important it is regenerative it yeah. allows you to to you know recharge and um and to be poured into and yeah. to be able to give back um, and it's, you know, and we are an amazing, beautiful collective of folks when we get together. We have fun. Mm-hmm. 
We have fun. We have fun. Yeah, you know I'm thinking about karaoke, right? Like, <laughs> I just think about all the ways that I've been able to just cultivate fun when I'm with Black people in spaces where it's clear that they're not made for us. It's like, that's cool. We'll find our own fun and then you'll be all up in our faces. But we yes. don't want to do that. And, and it's yes. beautiful. It's a blessing to have that. It is. That, that ability. Yeah. Okay. So I've got my rapid fire questions coming up, but before we get to that, All right. okay. the last question I want to invite you to answer is um, thinking about your place in society right now with everything that's going on and all the various changes that are happening. Reflect, if you will, about what you feel like your, your role, your function, your purpose, your... Um, I said legacy in another conversation, but I'm going to pause on like I know that's kind of a little daunting for people, particularly given that uh, in the words of, of Maya Angelou, we're not always sure what our legacy is yet because we mm -hmm. still live in. But, you know, just thinking about what you feel like your your place is, share a little bit of your idea about that. Hmm. Ooh, Tracy, we make it look y'all. <laughs> Dr. Tracy gonna make y'all work. So when when you get if and when you get invited, just be aware that you know Dr. Tracy gonna come with it. She, don't don't act like you just gonna be sitting here cute because you're not. You're gonna work, and, and I mean, you're gonna we love got work it. To do. It's, it's and you're gonna work. love it. It's it. This is what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Um. I think my work now. This is a really timely. I also want to appreciate and honor that you asked this because this is requiring me to do some work that I'm doing for myself. Mm -hmm. um, so I think right now my work is figuring out how to curate spaces again, similar to what um, um, was born in a sense out of Wakshin, um from uh, myself and Trina and, and Bianca and sort of like understanding what the space was when that was born. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I'm at this place right now where I want to figure out how to curate these spaces for black femmes over 40, over 45, um, to be able to have really honest conversations about sex in a very explicit kind of way where we haven't been able to before mm -hmm. um, and to talk about uh, passion and pleasure and desire and what does that look like in real time and how yeah. can we access that with our partner or partners with ourselves within intimate personal relationships as well as platonic right so to be really clear about um, shout out to afrosexology they had a post that i shared recently on instagram about um, being able to speak to your desire and how mm -hmm. are you able to speak to the needs that you have mm -hmm. within platonic and intimate relationships. And it's sort of, it like a, there was a bell that rang for me like, Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, and it made me think about the ways in which I think um, in my experience, how um, black folks and, and black femmes in particular do a lot of compartmentalizing around um what folks do or how folks show up in our lives or what you know like so where they fit in because there are mm -hmm. all of these things that we're holding and so i want to be able to have conversations about so where is where is your pleasure center in all of these things mm -hmm. where is your passion space in all of these things is mm -hmm. it being fed and if it's not are you articulating that in a way yeah. that people can hear yeah yeah and so that's where are i feel like commanding I'm, that 
Are you yes. establishing that as a standard? Are you saying from jump, this is what I need yeah. and this is what I have to offer? Yeah. And yeah. so I, and so that's part of my own work, but I feel like that's might be where I'm headed now. I love it. I love Just it. To I'm here those for spaces. it. And, and we, I, you remind me that we did have an intention pre-COVID to, to do some work <laughs> together. So we're yes. going to get back to that. Come on, because I'm ready to talk about horophobia. I still yes. have that paper that I oh, wrote down coming. all the notes when you were, t and I was like scribbling. I was like, "Please, pen, don't run out." And when you, <laughs> and when the word horophobia came up, I literally threw everything down. I was like, "I'm done. That's it. That's it. That's it." That's, that's that's and that's not that's not my creation. I I heard that from Raquel Savage. At some point, I'm gonna get her on this mm -hmm. show, um, and I'm not sure if that's a word she coined or not but once i heard it again light bulb like okay right that's another concept we got to wrap our heads around so, yes um, but yeah but we will once once uh we can all go back outside once outside becomes safe again, once outside is safe right we can all go we'll back outside <laughs> we'll figure it out <laughs> um, i love it all right so are you ready for the rapid fire question i'm ready i'm ready love it love it love it so you already know how it goes the sentence stems you tell me whatever is the first thing that comes to your mind yes okay? call and response i'm here for it yes amen yes amen all right so the first one sexiness is blackness yeah absolutely <laughs> the blackness. sexiest Yes, yes, yes. The sexiest thing about blackness and or black people is. Ooh. I love the voluptuousness of black people. Mm. Like there is this amazing, juicy voluptuousness about black people that is from the skin to the bodies to the to the language to the, the all of it. Yes, it is just is so much that's legit like i i think about being loved by a black person there's no other feeling there's no other thing like it, it whether is. it's your, your your grandma right or a baby or your best it friend. is remarkable it is a remarkable experience to witness indeed indeed my go-to for feeling sexy is oh child music hand down <laughs> Depending upon the mood I'm trying to set. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. But Any music. Particular for... artists? Um, you know, when I was young, when I was younger, uh, all you had to do was put on some Maxwell back in the day. Ooh. Like literally. Three Ooh. three notes and it was a <laughs> Let me done tell you deal. for me, I'm such a I'm I own it. Like I, I this is I don't mean this in any pejorative sense, but I was gonna say I'm a I'm such a bird. You could Jodeci was it for me. You put on Jodeci. I to this day, I just, to this day, like, like I just. I'm not mad. I'm not mad at that. I'm not. I'm sorry, my heart belongs to you. Is is phenomenal. Like I'm not mad and, at and that. And of course, their counterparts, which this these younger generations don't understand, their real counterpart was boys to men. Everybody wants to compare to them to Drew Hill. Look now, and other fifty, can like, 50 no. candles was on the mixtape. Let's the be clear. Look, uh, ah, let's talk Come about on. that. <laughs> like, okay, the like, remix version. The remix version. <laughs> 
their contemporaries were boys to men. And yes. just, like those were the contemporaries. It's not Jodeci versus Drew Hill. It's not Jodeci versus Silk. It's no, it was those two groups. No, and if no. I ever see a versus that has either one of them and they don't have the other, <laughs> I'm shutting everything down because y'all got it's, it's not happening. It's not, not that's happening. not how it works. It's so. not happening. <laughs> Not happening. Yeah, music for me. And Maxwell was. A, I was a neo soul kind of. I was a neo soul kind of person. I feel just that. real. Sm- yeah. That I mean, was my... Maxwell. Listen. Look. Look. See. Whole other episode. Whole other yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I got stories. I got stories about that. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Next one. Sexual freedom for Black folk is achieved when. Hmm. Sexual, did you say freedom or liberation? Because I heard, but I said sexual freedom. But you know, to me, sexual freedom. When black folk can love in public in the sunshine and not be worried about what's happening anywhere else but in that moment, Mm -hmm. and it can be witnessed. By somebody else. Yes. Oof. Mm. That's oof. Yes. Okay. I'm gonna be sitting with that one for a minute. Um, (laughs) All right. Last but not least, when I am done being on this podcast, I will. When I'm done being on this podcast, I will turn on some music and go tend to my plant kiddos. I have turned into a plant lady thanks oh, to yes. COVID. Thanks to the Rona, Rona, Roro. Hey, <laughs> I have turned into a plant this lady. Rona has and changed so, everything. yes, Rona, uh, Miss COVID and her kin have, have thrown all <laughs> kinds of wrenches. And so, um, Saturdays, I spend my days tending to my plants. I play music. Um, uh, I'm a member of the CQ Club, D Nice and Club Quarantine. So yes. I will be I will be uh playing some older episodes uh to yes. my to my kiddos. I talk to them and they get they get well versed on music. So they're they're highly um highly intellectual musical plants. They get yes. their music education every week. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, meanwhile mine are like, uh you gonna water us or not? <laughs> So that's probably what I need to do once we're done is go get these roots. Go get them, go give them a little moisture. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Listen, Marietta, you know how, you know how I feel about you. I thank you so much for being here. I'm, my heart is full. I, I'm looking at the time. We probably are going to end up breaking this up into two different episodes, two parters, but that is okay. Everybody's going to get their life. Thank you so, so much for being here. Before you go, tell people real quick how they can find you, where they can find you, all that good stuff. Yes. Um, first, thank you, Dr. Tracy. This has been, you You know I stand hard for you. I am a fan <laughs> to the end, to the dirt. It's mutual. It and mutual. so I just, I'm so excited for this new evolution and growth in your work and presence in our profession. So thank you for for honoring me with this opportunity and people can reach me. I am on Facebook. I know, you know, we all got issues. We got urchins as Monty would say with stuff. So I am on Facebook. You can look me up by my name. Um, Mariotta, like the hotel at an A Gary Smith. Um, (laughs) 
I used to say that as a kid. That's the only way people knew how to say my name right. Um, I'm also on Instagram under uh, my handle is D A D Brown Sugar Sex Doc, and also on Twitter under Brown Sugar Sex Doc. Yes, yes, yes. That's and all that information will also be in the show notes. So please check it out and keep be in touch. So with that, we are done. Thank you all so much for listening. And this actually concludes our season. So Mariata was our season finale. Thank what? you so much. Oh my girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we will be back in, let's see, we will be back in April with new episodes. Um, so, but that doesn't mean that you cannot go back and listen to previous episodes. And also there will be lots of things coming from the brand so stay tuned make sure you're following us um, on all the platforms tsob the podcast and you will be in touch with everything that's going on but again thank you mariata for being here for our season finale so glad to have you this was a great way to end the first season oh i'm so, so. i'm so honored so <laughs> humble thank you with that you all take care and talk to you again soon you've been listening to tsob with dr g produced by dr tracy q gilbert of tembi and Aya. To keep up with all things TSOB, follow us on social media at TSOB the podcast, which you can find on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. For past episodes of the show, visit TSOBpodcast.com or subscribe to the show either on YouTube or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Now, don't forget that you've got homework for this episode. To find the downloadable worksheet for this or any other episode of the show, head on over again to tsobpodcast.com where you'll find it and any other important information from the show notes. And finally, do you have any questions or thoughts to share? Sound off by email at mailbox at tsobpodcast.com. Again, this was TSOB, the sex ed of black folk. Thank you for listening. Talk again soon.